0: Hi, I'm Mike Reese. I've been writing for The Simpsons for 30 years. In my free time, I've visited 130 countries. Not by choice. Find out where I've gone, what I've done, and most of all, what am I doing here? I made a trip to a little country called Ukraine. Maybe you've heard of it. Way, way back in 2020, before the plague and the riots and more plague and more riots, we were going to impeach President Trump over Ukraine. Remember that? Isn't it cute? Ukraine was all over the news, but then it's always been. It's the largest country in Europe, rich in farmland, flat as a blini, with no mountains or canyons to protect it. This makes it an absolutely perfect place to invade, and people have been doing just that for centuries. The Russians, the Poles, Austro-Hungary, the Turks, the Russians again, the Russians yet again, and finally, Rudy Giuliani. Ukraine is like that sweet, harmless kid that everyone in school just loved to pick on. In other words, me. Once, Ukraine even invaded itself. In Kiev, there's a Russian tank mounted on a pedestal as a World War II memorial. In 2014, pro-Russian separatists drove the tank off the pedestal and used it to take over a local art center. At least some of the blame goes to Ukraine for leaving the keys in the tank. And then there's that other Ukrainian oopsie, Chernobyl. In 1985, a meltdown at this nuclear power plant killed 30 people and forced hundreds of thousands to flee. Now it's a tourist attraction, albeit one that exposes you to plutonium, cesium, strontium, and yes, americium. That's a radioactive element named for America, because America invented it. Who says we don't make things anymore? Chernobyl sounds dangerous, but tour operators do issue some protective gear. Little paper booties. These are not to safeguard you, you already paid your admission. They're to protect the linoleum floors of the reactor. The one sop to safety is that every guest is given a badge to detect radiation. At the end of your tour, you turn in the badge. Three weeks later, you'll get a call if you've received a lethal dose of radiation and have three weeks to live. I'm not making any of this up, including this part. They now have nighttime tours of haunted Chernobyl in case nuclear apocalypse wasn't scary enough. Oh, they also host bridal showers. My wife, who loves dangerous, stupid adventures, such as marrying me, could not wait to visit Chernobyl. And so, back in 2011, she booked us a romantic two-week invasion of Ukraine. By the way, it's not THE Ukraine, like U2's The Edge. It's just one word, Ukraine, like U2's Bono. Our trip began in southern Ukraine in the picturesque seaside town of Odessa. Like most Eastern European beaches, there's no sand, just a waterfront stretch of gravel. And no one actually goes in the water. They lay in beach chairs all day, without sunscreen, burning and blistering audibly. When you walk by, it smells and sounds like bacon frying. This is where I first noticed something unique about Ukraine, something you never read in the papers. Everyone in the country has big boobs. Maybe it's genetic, maybe it's diet, maybe it's a side effect of Chernobyl. Regardless of the cause, who cares, am I right boys? Oh, I'm sorry. Regardless of the cause, everyone in this country is stacked. Young women, old women, and many of the men. And nobody's hiding it. There are low-cut blouses, tight t-shirts, and tank tops everywhere you turn. This is the country I dreamed of when I was 16. It is the sovereign republic of cleavage. It is the nation of Bubistan. It is Slovakia. Odessa boasts a world-class opera house where, for just $3, I attended the greatest performance of Aida I ever slept through. But the city's main attraction is the Odessa Steps, an elegant flight of stairs leading from the city to the harbor. It was here Sergei Eisenstein filmed the Odessa Steps massacre sequence for his 1925 silent classic, The Battleship Potemkin. This brutally beautiful montage was ripped off by Brian De Palma for the best scene in The Untouchables and has been parodied in dozens of comedies, most of them by Woody Allen. On a more somber note, it was on this very spot in 1905 ...that nothing happened. Eisenstein made up the whole massacre. Pure Bolshoi. Fake newsreel. From Odessa, we drove through 200 miles of solid nothing... ...to reach Pobuzke, home to the Museum of Strategic Rocket Forces. It's situated in the middle of a giant wheat field... ...littered with disarmed nuclear missiles the size of school buses. At least I think they're disarmed. They did leave the keys in that tank... Hidden in the center of the field is an elevator that takes you 100 feet down into a missile silo. The doors open on what looks like Adam West's Batcave, a large underground command center filled with blinking consoles, rotary phones, and 1960s era computers. Every morning for years, a Russian soldier strapped himself into a chair and waited for the phone call that gave him the order to push the button to launch the missile that would incinerate America. Decades later, that same Russian soldier was still down there, now working as a tour guide. I'm not sure anyone told him the Cold War was over. He actually told me, If I push this button... (whistles) No more New York. Did you see our gift shop? Ironically, the nuclear missile silo was not the scariest place we visited in Popuzka. Our hotel was... I first sensed trouble when our driver dumped us at the front door and sped off like a coachman dropping guests at Dracula's Castle. It was the only hotel in town, and it was run by an ogress. She was a hefty woman in her 60s who screamed at us in Russian from the moment we entered at 4 p.m. till we left the next morning at 10. I still have no idea why. It's just the fact of life in the former Soviet Union. Anyone over 50 working in the service industry shouldn't be in the service industry. That goes for hotel clerks, porters, waiters, flight attendants, and roadside fruit vendors. They learned their trade in an age when your choice was no choice and the customer was always wrong. Dinner at the hotel was the worst part of a miserable stay. I would believe that you could always order food in a foreign country. Menus generally have pictures you can point to. Even when they don't, they're all laid out the same way, with starters in the upper left-hand corner, entrees in the middle, and desserts at the end. Not this menu. There were no pictures, no prices, just two solid pages of tiny Cyrillic writing. It may not have been a menu at all. It might have been a laminated excerpt from the Brothers Karamazov. I tried to communicate with the ogress, who was also our waitress and short order cook. She was a literal triple threat. I attempted to order an entree in mime by acting like a chicken. When that failed, I moved like a cow. This actually seemed to amuse her briefly before she went back to screaming at me. Trembling, I pointed at some random words on the menu. She brought something out, we paid for it, and we ate it. It might have been food. The next morning, the ogre screamed us a fond farewell as we headed another 200 miles north to Kiev. This is a worldly and welcoming city. I was accosted in the town square by a man in a ratty Bart Simpson costume. And they really do eat chicken Kiev in Kiev. It's a breaded chicken cutlet stuffed with an entire stick of butter. If Elvis had known about this dish, he would never have seen 40. My wife and I visited Kiev's beautiful public park where, from a raised viewing platform, we could view the promised land. Chernobyl, just 60 miles to the north. The park also boasted several monumental sculptures of Skrat, the ugly rat-squirrel hybrid from the Ice Age cartoons, who always wants his acorn but never quite gets it. I asked the Ukrainian woman why her people like Skrat so much. Her reply could be stitched on the flag of Ukraine. He teaches children that life is hopeless. Scrat is also the first star that greets you when you enter my favorite Kiev attraction, the Museum of Wax Persons. Wax celebrities have careers just like professional baseball players. The very best wind up in the majors, the Madame Tussauds in large cities around the globe. When a star loses his luster over time like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or Scandal, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, he'll be sent off to the Miners, small town off-brand wax museums. Arnold might even be painted green and presented as the Incredible Hulk. This kind of repurposing goes on all the time. Anne Hesch becomes David Spade, who becomes Justin Bieber. My friend swears he saw Wax James Madison, our shortest president, redressed as Peter Pan. All these indignities were on display in Kiev's wax museum, filled with unrecognizable celebrities, shameless reworkings. The crypt keeper from Tales of the Crypt was dressed and labeled Michael Jackson. And there were weird cast-offs from other wax museums. The freak who could fit a videotape in his mouth. And the man with a really bad haircut. But my favorite attraction in the museum was not a wax figure, but a sign on the wall. Next to a sculpture that could have been any bald celebrity from Dwight Eisenhower to Charlie Brown was a placard reading, and this is a verbatim quote, Bruce Willis from the middle of the eightieth years. Bruce tried to force one's way vainly through the upstairs. He had to play quite a bit of notable roles in the films of Category of B and publicity rollers. He by chance was worn out in the studio tests in the pilot issue of the serial Moonlight, and after which he woke up a star. And with an output on the screens of Die Hard, the career of Bruce Willis shot up in the extraordinary heights. Psychological thriller Sixth Sense became one of the cash desks in America. Comedy The Whole Nine Yards also declared itself not bad. I was starting to love Ukraine. Its beauty, its boobs, its boo-boos. When my travel agent called us with bad news. Chernobyl would be closed for the month. It wasn't a safety issue. There was a property dispute with a farmer whose fields you had to cross to get to the power plant's wreckage. Plutonium did not scare our tour operators. An angry farmer with a pitchfork did. By the way, don't buy produce from a farm next to Chernobyl, unless you get a really good price. I had to break the news to my wife. The words no husband should ever have to say, Honey, I can't take you to Chernobyl. What followed was the second biggest meltdown in Ukrainian history. And now a land yap. That's a New Orleans term for a little bonus gift of no value whatsoever. For my land yap, I'll give you the entire continent of Australia in three minutes. You won't hear much about Australia on this podcast because this is mostly a podcast of me whining and Australia's never given me anything to complain about. I've been there six times to six different regions, and I've always had a good time. Australia is just like America, only a little better. It's it's America 2.0. We're friendly, they're friendlier. We love beer, they worship beer. Both nations were founded around the same time, an ocean away from snooty old England. But America was established by religious zealots. Australia was built by convicts. That's why they're more fun. They are a little hard to communicate with. You can understand exactly one half of what an Australian person says. Generally, it's the first half, you know. If I was running your Congress, I'd langa-danga-danga-danga-danga. But sometimes it's only the second half you can follow, and that gets weird. Langa-danga-danga-danga-danga-danga. And I woke up with a dead hooker covered in shrimp. By the way, I know my Australian accent is terrible. It sounds like John Wayne trying to do a Cary Grand impression. All right, pilgrim, we're gonna drink warm beer till we chunder. John Wayne and Cary Grant. Those are as hip as my references get. I want to close with the one bad experience I ever had in Australia. I told this story in my Simpsons memoir, Springfield Confidential, and it was the most popular thing in the book. So let me leave you with the tale of the meanest man in Australia. This guy was my tour guide to the city of Darwin, and what follows is a verbatim transcript from the long day we spent together. So, what do you do for a living, mate? Me? I write for a cartoon show called The Simpsons. Well, that's a bloody stupid show. Gee, most people in Australia seem to like it. Oh, yeah, my daughter does. I can't tell you how many times I've had to smack her in the mouth for quoting your show. This is your daughter that you said had leukemia? Yeah, that's the one. I can't abide the disrespect you people show to religion. Well, gee, that's funny because the show was recently praised for its Christian values by Pope Benedict. Well, he's a stupid wanker, isn't he? Now, over there is our new waterfront area. Bladon horrible. It was developed by the Jews. They got no sense of taste whatsoever. (laughs) You know, uh, I'm Jewish. And he tapped me on my large nose and said, Oh, I could tell, mate. The tour came to an end with me wondering how much you tip an anti-Semitic child beater. And that's when he said, Here's my address. You think you could send my daughter an autographed script from your show? I'd be happy to. And one for me too. What Am I Doing Here was written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo. Additional voices by Trevor Morris, Mike's Funny Doorman.